Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America. Happy Thursday. A lot going on in the world, but today we're going to take you inside the world of the VA and the veterans because one of those constituencies that have been so harmed and so shocked by the Afghan collapse, by the bungled exit from Afghanistan by President Biden's administration, has been those veterans who fought on the front lines of the Afghan war for 10 or 20 years, often many of them having three, four, five, six, I've heard as many as 11 tours of duty. And you come back and you feel like you've contributed and you see a slightly more stable Afghanistan, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda in check, and you go back to your life as normal. And then one day you turn on the television and you realize everything that you fought for has just been reversed and erased in a few short days because of poor American planning. This is an extraordinary moment in American history and those veterans who fought must be going through psychological strife, must be going through the emotional turmoil of seeing this more than we can because most of us haven't set foot on the ground in Afghanistan. We didn't know the people, we didn't know the conditions, we didn't see firsthand the blood let by our brothers and sisters and comrades in the military who fought so hard so that we could be free and the Afghan people could be free and the threat of terrorism from Afghan soil could be eradicated. All of that's being reversed. Those veterans, they must be feeling an enormous pain. And today we're going to talk to Peter O'Rourke. He was the acting secretary of veteran affairs for a while under President Trump. He worked in the whistleblower office. He worked as the chief of staff. He has now created a group dedicated to fighting for innovation for our, our veterans, better services, less suicide, quicker speed, more choice, private opportunity. Peter O'Rourke is going to bring us inside the VA as it is now because it was transformed quite a bit during the Trump years with Democrats and Republicans helping out. We're going to tackle those issues and we're going to learn what veterans are getting from the VA, what they're not getting from the VA, where the new pressure points are, and what, as someone who served with them, caring for them, what Peter O'Rourke thinks about the needs of our Afghan veterans during this very difficult moment of crisis in American history. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, Peter O'Rourke, former acting secretary of the VA, got a brand new group out there that is extraordinarily important, influential about veterans issues. We're going to tackle all that on the other side of this commercial break. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, someone who served our country in the armed forces. He's a great veteran, then went into the Veterans Administration and helped President Trump make a huge difference in changing the bureaucracy and the culture and the opportunities for our great fighting men and women, and now has created a brand new group called Veterans for America First Institute to carry on the legacies of the Trump policies on veterans and to take them further in the next generation of great veterans we have to serve. Joining us right now is Peter Work, the former acting secretary of the Veterans Administration. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Happy to be here. You have an amazing career, and everybody knows you from your role as the last VA secretary for President Trump, but you served in the military. You saw our fighting men and women up front, close as brothers and comrades, and then you go on the next part of your career, and you're there to help them deal with all of the injuries and wounds that war leaves. Just walk us through a little bit of your bio. You have a really fantastic career. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. You know, I had the honor to serve in a couple different services, work with uh, a couple others, and then uh, obviously serve at the Department of Veterans Affairs. I started my career, like a lot of veterans that we have in our country did, enlisted after high school, joined the United States Navy. I was very proud of that. In 1989, served in the Persian Gulf War, like many others, and uh, really learned a lot. It's a great place to shape young men and women to understand their country, understand what it means to be an American. I left in 1994 uh, to, to go to college, used that energy and that momentum from the Navy to finish actually a little early, and then decided that I think thought my best path forward was in the United States Air Force as a commissioned officer, which I was proud again to, and honored to get another chance to serve, learned a lot more. The one thing that's great about the military is there's no shortage of education opportunities and and being able to learn more about yourself, uh, how to work with others, and to complete the mission of the United States. Served there until uh, very early in in 2006, so I got to experience a lot of the different engagements that we went through, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Bosnia, a few others, and, and get to see a lot of our other sister services from the Air Force up close. And then uh, after 2006, left the service uh, for good that time, at least from an active duty standpoint. We went into to working with the services as a contractor, doing different things with the Army, a little bit with the Marine Corps, and then had the opportunity under President Trump uh, to serve again uh, in the Department of Veterans Affairs, started there, uh, like most do, as a, as a Schedule C uh, didn't quite know where I was going to be at the, at the time, but just tried to find opportunities to contribute to the mission and to help veterans. And that ultimately you know, led to uh, starting up the Office of Whistleblower Protection and then serving as the Chief of Staff and then ultimately as the Acting Secretary in between uh, Dr. Shulkin and, uh, and Secretary Wilkins. So, right. uh, so I guess I've had the full veteran experience from enlisted uh, all the way to to the Veterans Affairs, which has provided me a lot of good perspective, I think, at least for myself, uh, understanding what some of these issues are and really being passionate about helping veterans in what they face. I mean, 
obviously we're all human. We, we can't do everything, but, but you try to find each opportunity, whether it's engaging a veteran one-on-one uh, to help them through whatever crisis or, or you know, non-crisis, just helping them through life, or when it's tackling some of these larger policy issues for the nation uh, as a whole when it comes to serving our veterans, honoring our veterans, taking care of them, and making sure they have the best of whatever we can provide them. Sometimes that takes different forms, but at the end of the day, it's it's really providing them the best that we can for what they've done for us. Yeah, and we owe it to them. And, you know, I think people forget, we've been through so much in the last couple of years of, of news and triumph and the defeat and scandal and controversy and elections, but uh, people forget the state of the VA when uh, Barack Obama handed over the keys to Donald Trump. It was in a mess. There was the Phoenix scandal. There were the enormous waiting lines. And it's almost hard to remember, but the Trump administration made enormous gains for veterans, giving them choice, cleaning up some of these wait times and benefit decisions. I wonder if you could go through and just remind people how much progress you made in the administration over the four years that you guys were in power. Sure. Thank you for that. You know, it was a great team. We had a lot of great folks on the Beachhead team that came in. Uh, We had good folks that joined us along the way. Uh, to really see a vision for the department that wasn't new per se. Uh, people had been talking about, some, just like the president says, we'd been talking about some of these issues for a long time, but few had really taken you know, and run the ball across the finish line. You get very little back, I think, as a, as a president from what you invest in VA other than knowing you're doing the right thing. I mean, it's not like other agencies where there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, political capital um, but that's what really impressed me about what the president did and impressed me about the rest of the team is we all knew that this was a, an effort that we were going to invest a lot of ourselves in. Um, we were going to make some pretty dramatic changes, you know, obviously with the Mission Act, uh, with the Accountability Act that was passed. We knew what we were going up against, and, and myself and others, uh, we did it anyway. Um, we knew there was going to be a lot of institutional resistance. We knew there was going to be resistance from some of the entrenched uh, uh, interest groups around veterans, but we knew it was the right thing. We had learned that from 2014 when we watched a, a, a bureaucracy uh, really go off the rails. Some, you know, for for a lot of reasons, right? It was an incredibly complex, um, as we saw from a lot of the investigations that was done on it, both in the Congress, uh, internally at the VA, by the IG, by others. Um, it wasn't like we could just point the finger at one bad actor. There was lots of bad actors, and there was also people doing things that they just felt helpless. To, you know, they didn't know what else to do. Uh, but those were all bad outcomes. Those were those were a lack of leadership. This was a lack of of really understanding what the problem was and being willing to to drive to a to a solution that was best for veterans. And that's what we talked about today with with Veterans for America First. We really want to help everyone refocus on the veteran and the veterans. You know issues, journey, I mean, we call it lots of different things, and, and, and it's all okay, but the minute that an organization shifts away from looking at who, in their case, you know, uh, veterans that is the customer of the VA from, from that perspective, the minute we shift away from that and we start staring at our, at our institution and trying to make the institution better in and of itself, we miss it. We miss the point. And, um, and so that's what we're hoping to do with this new group. And, and really, that was our focus as a team while we were at VA. I know it was the president's focus. He, he would give us anything that we asked for and did, whether it was budget, whether it was support, whether it was you know, White House events, whatever we asked for, he would give us if it furthered the, the individual veterans' 
uh, you know, furtherment of, of them, whether it was uh, claims where we, you know, really had just barely off of a claim scandal as well. We, we kind of forget that sometimes. That's another one. You're it. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as bad as the weight, I mean, and it was horrible because we had people dying in, in wait lists or, or really just giving up on the VA system and, and going off on their own. We also had the same thing on, on benefits claims where we had people that really needed the help. I mean, the difference between the benefits that are given out, the lack of having those or waiting two, three, four years to get your benefits claim adjudicated just leads to a lot of confusion, a lot of angst, uh, you know, a lot of uh, mis, uh, you know, false expectations because, you know, let's just face it. I mean, uh, whether it's Congress, whether it's individual uh, elected leaders, you know, we promise veterans a lot. We, we say we're going to do a lot for them. We say, oh, we're going to provide you all these things. And that's great. And, and I understand that part of the process. But when we can't back that up with good processes internally that actually deliver on those promises, because the political gain from that is, is long past. You know, we pass a bill and we authorize all these great benefits for veterans, and then we go off and claim victory, and very little analysis is done after the fact on how was that actually engaged with the veteran? How did they actually get those benefits? And so we lose that sight on that sometimes. And so we did a lot of work early on. Uh, there had been some gains on the claim side to at least get the initial claims through, but what we found was it really just had pushed the ball down the you know, we pushed the problem down through the system to where we ended up having, you know, what we are still dealing with, uh, from what I understand, a, a, a board of veterans appeals. So all the appeals of these initial claims that were done quickly and just kind of run through the system are then being repealed at the, the board of veterans appeals. And that process is four to five years long. So you have veterans that are, you know, still waiting for benefits they earned, whether it was in Vietnam or upgrades to, to conditions that they've had. So we had to address that. We obviously had to address the, the waitlist issue, and, and that's where the Mission Act, and I know, I know, John, everybody likes to argue, and we've already seen some pushback so far. So, well, we had choice back because President Obama gave us choice. And, you know, I, I, I understand where people can be confused. Uh, you know, the media didn't help with that, and there was a, a lot of angst from folks within the D.C. area that said, you know, President Trump can't take credit for the Mission Act giving veterans choice because it was already there and, and it was passed in 2014. You know, unfortunately, what people forget is that that 2014 law was a short-term, almost knee-jerk reaction to the wait time scandal. I mean, it wasn't permanent choice. It was really hastily put together, done very well by, by Chairman Miller and others in a Republican-led Congress. But, you know, they had to negotiate that through, get it to, get it to where the president could sign it. And so at the end of the day, it, it wasn't everything it should have been, but it was a good start. But again, it was temporary. It was very uh, much resisted within the organization because it was, a, it was a realization that we needed to provide, we need to put this in the veterans' hands. And I use this as an example now because I, I, what's really encouraging to see is we're seeing the same realization in our education system right now where people are saying, hey, the dollars should follow the student. You know, it's really the same concept we had at VA is, look, we should be making financial decisions, we should be making policy decisions, internal process decisions that are focused on and start with and end with the veteran, not the organization, which, you know, as you know, I mean, sometimes that means your organization is going to do things that internally may be hard or difficult, but it's the most efficient path for the veteran. And, you know, I've always thought if you keep that in mind and, and really just focus on what's good for them, 
it really doesn't matter what the organization does as long as the veteran feels that they're being served well, that they have what they need, when they need it, and that, you know, they really see the VA as a partner. And I think too many of our veterans today don't have that experience. So there are some that have great experiences, and that's great. Unfortunately, that consistency is not held throughout the entire system, whether it's on the health side or the benefits side. And that's really the things that we need to address. And, and hopefully with our group that will keep pushing those solutions and helping the organization work through those issues to the betterment of the veteran. Yeah, that is really what we all can really enjoy. We have so much that we talk about when we talk about the permanent bureaucracy. Some people call it the deep state. What sort of recalcitrance did you see to change? What sort of empire building or inertia are the bureaucrats who control the VA? Because listen, the VA is traditionally run by career people and it was that career system that came to a grinding halt. When you came in and others came in with the mission of trying to um, uh, make it more efficient, to force change, to innovate, what did you see from the permanent, permanent bureaucracy? Well, you know, John, I mean, you, you kind of have to go back to, to where the VA started. And, and I think for, for very well-intentioned uh, decisions were made early on in the formation of the, both the department and then earlier on in the administration, which was veterans, you know, the veterans administration and then the department is not a political issue. It's not a political football. We cannot treat it that way like we do other departments where you have incoming, outgoing administrations, you know, every four to eight years that change policy. And I think initially that was that was a well intention. I, I understand, you know, Senator Glenn, you know, worked on this uh, way back when we, we created the department. I think that was that was good thinking. That was right thinking. Unfortunately, that's just not the nature of bureaucracies. They they tend to over time evolve into organizations that create and, and sustain themselves. And they lose sight of even their original mission. I'm not saying the VA's lost sight of their mission, but when you have an organization that, you know, went through or caused a lot of the, 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 the challenges, scandals, whatever you want to call them over the past couple of decades, there really needs to be a refresh. There needs to be a change. And in our system of government, that's done through the political process. Um, I mean, I remember back, you know, there was the same sort of complaints when uh, when when the, the, both Bush presidents came in. There was complaints when President Obama came in about the VA. And, and I know even in, during the Obama administration, there was some good faith efforts made to, to try to address that. And they faced the same resistance from a bureaucracy that, you know, has its sight on what its mission is to serve veterans, but has lost sight on really how to do that, how to keep up with innovation how to keep up with those uh, those sort of healthcare breakthroughs that have been there. We, we do that in some areas. We don't do it in other areas. And it creates that inconsistency that, that really provides the overall system a black eye, a, a misperception sometimes. I remember, you know, working with Dr. Shulkin early on during his tenure and his frustration of saying, hey, we have the best care anywhere. And I'm like, yeah, but we don't have the best care everywhere, which which really means <laughs> that if you're in one of those anywhere it's places, it's a good flip, great, right? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there's some VAs that are absolutely outstanding. I mean, we do some of the best research on prostate cancer on some others. I mean, you travel TBI, around with some right? VAs yeah. and it's, oh, absolutely. There's, there's just amazing things there. But then there's so many missed opportunities. I remember the first, <laughs> the first really ugly situation that we faced when I became the chief of staff right after working at the Office of Accountability was the Manchester kind of right. blow up. And I mean, it was 
remember we, we were on the ground within 24 hours of that really hitting its its peak and you know, just walking around going wait a second I don't I don't recognize this this doesn't I mean I was just at a VA you know a couple of weeks before and it was a very well functioning the managed team was good the veterans that you met there really appreciated what what their folks did for them it was a great running operation to go to a place that you know was only a couple mile, hundred miles away and was run so so much different and uh, and that was really became a frustration of mine was you know I I would hope that we can provide the same experience for each veteran no matter where they are and I think the realization became is that we really can't do that the way we're structured so how do we get there and you'll talk to some in the VA that's like well we get there by putting more and more money into the VA and expanding services and expanding these things and it's like are we really going to get there and, and when you really get an honest answer like well we probably can't I'm like okay well then what's the alternative let's find the next best thing and and the next best thing was to lean on, you know, our, our amazing healthcare uh, system that we've got throughout the United States. I mean, yeah, it's got its flaws too, but if I can have veterans go cherry pick the best service they want and put it in their hands, Heck maybe yeah. that's the best solution. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what we worked for. You know, to bring it back to, to the way that is, is those require really outside the box, outside the system thinking, again, that in a political system, you do by having new people come in and change what we're doing. And John, I don't know if you know this, but at the VA, there's really only about total 30, 35, 36 political appointees. So uh, if I'm President Obama or President Biden's picks to go in the VA, I'm going to struggle to be able to change a 400,000 person organization with just 30 people. Yeah. And so that's, that's a Herculean, that that's a Herculean task. <laughs> Well, it, it's you know, it, it, I would say it's probably more like Achilles, right? You're not, right. you're, you're gonna, you're, you're not gonna win it, um, and uh, and so that's some of the things that need to change, and and the bureaucracy knows that, and so it really takes, unfortunately, a, a really intentional effort to change those kind of systems. It takes a lot of political capital. I, I had somebody ask me why I was why I was there. Uh, somebody in the White House, of pretty high up, I won't mention his name, but uh, said, "What what do we got to do to fix the place?" And I was like, "Well." I said, you, you can't keep, um, you know, switching out, not as much switching out leadership, but you're going to have to really invest in the leadership you have there. You really have to back them. So you have to bring the full force to the White House and, and have a day-to-day -day constant support of that team that you have there. You're going to have to get the, the Congress behind that team. You're going to have to figure out a way to make them work together because it's going to take every branch of government working together to make that place work. And I think, unfortunately, too much we, we don't have – uh, we have a lot of competing interests. We have a lot of uh, self-interest that, that drives the department in, in 100 different directions. And so you almost have to choose. And, and I, you know, I say this is probably the same challenge for the bureaucracy side is who do, who do they want to make happy? Do they want to make a political party happy? Do they want to make a certain you know, authorizing committee happy? Do they want to make you know, VSOs happy? It's almost like they have to pick one, and then that starts to fragment and, and fracture the overall approach to actually doing what's good for a veteran, not just what's good for these other interests. So it's, it's an incredibly hard challenge. I, I never, uh, never envy uh, anybody that takes, I, I don't envy the challenge that people take, have them when they take those challenges on. I do appreciate that they take those challenges on. And, and again, I hope we're able to help provide really at least, at least just shine the light on some of the problems that we have there, but also what, what those solutions can be so that we really get that out into the public discourse. Folks can see it for what it is and make their decisions accordingly. 
Yeah, such a novel idea to have that flexibility, that innovation that uh, seems to be so hard to, to, to get in the federal government. Um, I want to turn to something that's on everyone's hearts and minds right now. We're seeing these harrowing images from Kabul and Afghanistan. Uh, we still have Americans on the ground that we haven't brought to security yet. We have our friends who stood beside us in Afghanistan who we haven't been able to get uh, into the country yet. And if you're a veteran who went through all of those efforts, that 20-year war, you, you saw war, you, you may have been wounded or psychologically wounded by the war, how much trauma can a failed exit like this, a flawed exit like this, create for those veterans? And what can we do to make sure that this doesn't drive them deeper into despair, into the suicide issues that we see? Uh, what, what can be done short-term, long-term? How big is the threat of having to live through this failed withdrawal? I really appreciate you bringing that up because it, it is, it, it's going to be a short-term and a long-term issue for us to deal with. I say short-term, and I say this to you, John, and, and to all your listeners, you know, reach out to someone that you know that, that has served in, in any of the services over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so, or just anybody that you know. Just, just you never know what that friendly, you know, interaction might might generate, whether it's conversation or you might just be catching somebody right at a at a time where they need somebody that just reaches out and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, is there anything I can do for you? You know, I know a lot of people that didn't serve that maybe just concerned about folks might feel hesitant about that. I would just encourage you. I mean, there's so little that we can really do when somebody's struggling like that, that even the smallest gesture can sometimes lead to something bigger, but also can just be the small thing that they need at the time to help them pull through. I mean, we've got incredibly strong men and women that have served over the last, whether it's Afghanistan, Iraq, all the way back to our earlier wars in Vietnam and, and even our World War II folks, a lot of times it's just checking in with them and, uh, and encouraging them to, to talk about what they had. Or sometimes you just, just need to say, hey, I'm here for you when you need something, uh, whatever it might be. So I would encourage everybody to do that. From an organizational standpoint, we're really going to have to get serious about, about some of these things. I mean, suicide was something that we took on during the Trump administration. Sure. The Obama administration had also done efforts. I mean, no one has not tried to do something. I think, unfortunately, the something is, is, where, is where we might struggle because we've thrown a lot of money at programs. We've thrown a lot of money at uh, call centers, some of that money very well spent. Uh, I think the president with his White House hotline was onto something I don't even think he really understood because what, what was lacking at the time was a really coherent touch point for veterans at the department. Yep. And while, you know, the White House hotline was just the start of, of what a lot of great people there worked on to, to get across the finish line. But, you know, if you remember, and, and we don't even talk about it now, which, which is amazing because some of the complaints we had early on was when I called the VA, I mean, I've got 15 different numbers. I'm in crisis. I don't really know who to call. There's three different crisis lines. You know, I talked to one person, they tell me one thing. I talked to another, it's another. That's gotten straightened up a lot, and so I would encourage folks to reach out to the crisis line now because they're going to get uh, taken care of. At least they're going to they're going to have somebody on the line that's going to work work with them through through what they are what they're dealing with and get them to the resources that they need. So that's a positive. But also there's there's incredible community groups. Uh, there's lots of other groups. If you know if you're hesitant about talking to the VA, you know reach out to to some some group that you know of or, or, or somebody uh, or a buddy of yours that'll, that'll help you through it. And I say all that, I mean, hoping that a lot of that happens, but, but knowing that this is something that, that we're going to be dealing with. Um, I, I know, and you've seen it, I'm sure from, 
from veterans that have talked about it publicly and, and on the news that uh, that they're getting all kinds of calls from folks that just don't know how to deal with this. Yep. Oh and, yeah, and it's a real, that, right? we, it's a real we crisis. We haven't dealt with something like this since you know the early seventies. You know, and I remember you know as, as going to the first Persian Gulf War, the euphoria when we came back of actually winning something. And now I'm afraid we're on this track again where we've lost. And I don't think we're really going to come to grips with the impact of that for a little while. And then we're going to have to be prepared to deal with it because we have a whole generation, sometimes two generations of people that have served in Afghanistan or Iraq. I don't think it really even matters if you didn't even serve in Afghanistan. You served in the armed forces. This is yours to bear as well. And we're going to be dealing with this for quite some time. So I really hope that, that elected leaders take this more serious than the hot takes or the opinions of it today and really start looking at the long-term effects of this, both from a national political, geopolitical standpoint, but also here at home. Because while the veterans, these generations of folks we talk about, it's still a very small part of, the gener- of, of our population, but that's a very significant part of our population. And they're going to have an effect on communities, small communities, larger communities throughout America. This is not something that's just going to be relegated to, you know, little pockets of groups or, you know, internet chat rooms or something. This is going to affect people across the board and it is going to come out. So I, I hope we deal with the short-term issue with folks that are really struggling that, that are just see that this is, as the end of the road. And then also the, the larger issues of how we deal with this kind of thing and how we come back from it. Because we are now on a comeback trail where we're going to have to come back from this and regain our position in the world and the super, I understand all that, but really just our own national psyche's got to absorb this and come back from it. Yeah, such a great point and great advice. Listen, if you know a veteran, spend a, a few minutes, dial and text, reach out, let somebody who served know you care today because this is a traumatic time for so many feeling that maybe their sacrifice was squandered in some way and that you can't pick a better time right now and to reach out. So that's great advice, Peter. Hey, Peter, how do people stay in touch with this great new group that you've created? You've got many colleagues on this very prestigious group of people. Uh, How can they follow what this new veterans group is going to do? Sure, absolutely. Go to the website, veteransforamerica.com and sign up. We'll be communicating regularly. We've got a great group of folks on our advisory board and on our board that will be producing content. We've got centers of excellence that we're going to start working on to provide really the roadmap for, for some of these policy suggestions and the approaches that we're, we're talking about. Appreciate, you know, following people like you. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll be in, stay in touch. And uh, as we grow this organization across the country and, and engage veterans at the grassroots level and help provide them with the education that they need to make good decisions on how they evaluate just any veterans' issues that they come across to see, that's really what role we hope to fill. I mean, Obviously, we're Trump administration uh, appointees, but this is not a political issue. Yeah. And that's obviously why we're not starting a political organization. Very encouraged with all the political candidates that are out there that are former veterans. I think that's a great thing to see and hope that they really push these balls forward in the sense of policy uh, if they get elected. So uh, It's funny so you mentioned it. We that. just had two of those great veterans on the show yesterday, one uh, from Ohio, one from Washington. I'm sorry, Michigan in Washington State, and it's so fun to see them take their battlefield experience and their passion and their love for country and, and transition it into politics. What a, what a remarkable movement. We're going to see a lot more of it, I suspect. 
Yeah, it's, it's going to be great to see. It is. Well, it's going to be great to see what you're going to do too, Peter. This is a really exciting effort, an important initiative, and uh, we can't focus enough on veterans. There's so much more work to be done, and uh, we're lucky that you're on the front lines of this great mission. Well, thank you, John. Like I said, we've got a great team, and we look forward to all the great things that we can do going forward. Yeah, same here. Well, we're going to be tracking that and be sure to have you back on to give us an update as great ideas and solutions and centers of excellence spread across this great country. Thanks again for the time. Great, John. Thank you so much. You too. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps it up. I hope you had a good listen on this. This was an important conversation with Peter Work. I think the most important thing he said that we all need to remember, if you know a veteran who served, give them a call right now. Pick up the phone. Don't wonder how they're doing. Go find out. Let them know you care. Let them know how thankful you are for the sacrifice because all of this playing out on television right now is causing a lot of our great fighting men and women, the veterans, the scars of their warfare to come to the forefront, the emotion of seeing some of the gains erased. Call them up. Let them know you care, that you care for them. What is such a great idea from Peter. Please do it. It will make a difference for everyone. All right, folks, that's it. We're going to wrap things up for today. We'll be back tomorrow with a new edition of John Solomon Reports, where we're going to go where we don't often go on the debate about climate change. we got a great climate scientist coming in. Really interesting data to talk about. Data you probably haven't heard of from other sources. All right. Have a great night. We'll be back tomorrow with a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News.